Welcome to the Influential Nonprofit, the show for nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact. Now, here's your host, Marianne Dersh. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Influential Nonprofit. I am your host, Mary Ann Dersh, and I work with nonprofits to grow their influence so they can increase their income and grow their impact, which is what we're all here to do, to do better in the world. And I am here with an amazing person today that I can't wait for you to get to know. Her name is Anne Graham, and she is the founder of MIB Agents Make It Better, Make It Better Agents, and she has an amazing story to tell. I'm not going to tell it. I want her to tell it. So welcome, Anne, and you are the founder and executive director, and just tell me how and why you started this organization. Um, Hi, Marianne. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here and so excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. So the story is when I was 43 years old, I was treated in the pediatric cancer center at Memorial Sloan Kettering for what turned out to be a bone cancer that typically affects kids age 10 to 20. This cancer is called osteosarcoma. It's the oldest known cancer having been found in dinosaurs and mummies. It still affects dogs and kids today, and it takes the limb in function or through amputation and too often the lives of the kids that it affects. So I had this cancer and and survived it. So at 43, you were diagnosed with this? That's right. And it typically is for kids. So then now your course at Sloan Kettering with kids, like in the same treatment space as the kids, right? That's right. Mm. Yep. I was the only grown up <laughs> in the pediatric cancer center. Um, and I think most people, most people would have thought that I was a parent, which I am, but I wasn't there acting as a parent. Um, so I, I think at first it looked like I was just one of the parents that had shaved their heads <laughs> so that they could look like their kids, you know, kind of in solidarity. Right, like, like in solid, yeah, solidarity yeah. for your kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But then I had, you know, a giant scar on my leg and, you know, crutches and, and, you know, it was constantly vomiting. So I think, um, I think that that was, the that gave it away. Separation. <laughs> I remember you telling me you were a, you were a runner before this, yeah. right? That's right. Mm. Yeah, I was a, I was, I was a runner and I was training for a marathon and my leg kept hurting. So I went to my sports medicine doctor and said, okay, well, my leg's hurting. And she said, well, you know, listen, you're, you're 43 years old. So I said, okay, fair enough. (laughs) 43, I guess my leg's going to start hurting now, you know, and I've got to do something different. So she kind of sent me home and said, you know, maybe slow down on your training a bit and and um, to see how it goes. And so this appointment kept occurring for nine months and I got misdiagnosed with everything from training too hard, running on the wrong side of the road, IT band, compartment syndrome, stress fracture, you name it. And then finally I couldn't walk. And I went in and said, listen, I <laughs> I appreciate the litany of, of misdiagnosis, but I think it's time for an MRI. And I, I really had to insist on it, which was uncharacteristic for me. I wouldn't uh, go in and demand something from a physician, but 
I did. And thank goodness I did because it turned out to be a nefarious uh, primary bone cancer. Hmm. So then from that experience, then you created this organization. So tell me about what inspired you to start this organization. So I survived, I guess. And that was the, that was, that was part one. I lived when many of the kids that I was treated with did not live. And one of the kids and, and uh, her parents that I met along the way was Alyssa Divers. Alyssa was uh, 11 years old. We had the same cancer. We were treated at the same time. We had surgeries at the same time. We ended treatment at the same time. And on our last day of treatment, she found a lump on her leg that had gone through the same surgery that my leg had gone through, which is limb salvage, where they take out the bones that are affected by the cancer. And in our case, it was our leg, which is typical. So a lot of your tibia is taken out your knee and part of your femur. And so she finds this bump and um, it, that's not good. There, there are only clinical trials when you've relapsed for this cancer. So they sent her home on hospice care. And I couldn't imagine this child kind of waiting to die in a hospital bed in her living room. And so I asked her, her family, if, if we could plan something for her, if I could plan something for her. So I contacted friends and family and said, okay, here's what we've got. We've got this 11 year old girl. She's dying of osteosarcoma. She doesn't have much time left. She's a dancer. Now she's an amputee, but she still danced. And so we created a, a weekend in New York city for her with all of the best dancer related things, Broadway show, Rockettes and the Nutcracker at Lincoln Center. And uh, last, the last thing was the Nutcracker at Lincoln Center. And at the end of the, of the show, they let her dance across the stage and she died just shy of her 12th birthday um, a couple weeks later. So that was our first mission before we knew what to call it. And subsequent to that, other kids that I was treated with really needed uplifting. Some of them were dying. So we just kind of, the missions kept coming and we we kept executing on them. And that's how MIB agents started. Wow. And one of the things you said was that when you started this organization, you were unaware of how little funding pediatric cancers receives. And I was shocked to hear that. I would think like that would get a ton of funding. Like kids with cancer, people would want to throw a lot of money at that, but that's, that's not what what's happening. That is certainly not the case. And it was certainly not the case for osteosarcoma. And I knew this when, when I found out about Alyssa having recurrent disease and only having a clinical trial to lean on and not like a, a, you know, nothing sitting on the bench, right. For, for, for something like this to happen, we just had a clinical trial. So I, I asked my, my doctor, what happens if this doesn't work? And he said, this has to work. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, there's nothing else. This is it. We have first line treatment it's aggressive, it's difficult to get through. And 
that's it. We don't have anything else. And I thought, oh my gosh, how is this possible? But in the meeting, you know, of course, uh, you you kind of just at that point pray and right. hope and and believe that that you're going to make it through and that that this is going to work for you. Which in my case, it did. But as it turns out, having survived and looking into this post, only four percent of the national Institute of Health budget is spent on all pediatric cancers. So not that's not a number for osteosarcoma. That's over 200 different types of pediatric cancer that only get four less than 4% of the National Institute of Health budget. So I asked my doctor, how do you get, how do you, how does this work? And, and why don't we get more funding? And he said, really the, the funding that, that all pediatric cancers get comes through people like you, families who have gone through this, who have lost a child to this. And that's, they'll, they'll pick up, they'll pick up the baton and, and find research to fund, but that's the key in, in moving this thing forward is we have to have funding and there just isn't any, and we rely on people like you to do it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Man. Yeah. And, and, and so MIB Agents was born because you said, like, I think most nonprofits kind of start by accident, you know, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh, you know, I keep doing this over and over again. I maybe I'll create an organization around it. So now, you know, that, um, you know, 2021. So tell me what your organization is like now. So we do continue to do end of life missions. It's a really important part of, of who we are and what we do. And, and all of that, of course, is in our name, MIB agents, make it better. And we try to make it better through all stages of this disease. So what we do now is uh, three things. We call it our three-legged stool. Uh, it's research, education, and support. So mm-hmm. I also call these things hope, faith, and love. Our hope comes through research. We fund it together with our entire community and our medical advisory team. We fund it, we support it, and we share it. And we ask the researchers whom we support to also share it, which they wholeheartedly do. Um, Education, I call that faith. We have faith in our annual factor conference. This is a conference that is unique in the world and that it brings all parties together under one roof for three days. And we, it's a medical conference. So we listen to talks from the leading experts around the world. And it's not just MIB that will fund things that they've heard at the conference uh, that they're interested in funding. They'll fund it, we'll fund it. We, We ask everybody to collaborate. So we have our annual research conference. We have a testing and research directory where people can find a clinical trial or their next line of treatment. We have a clinical trial search where you can find a clinical trial for yourself within 60 seconds. We have a book called Osteosarcoma from Our Families to Yours, where it's a if you're newly diagnosed, this is your this is the book for you. And that's what you get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's written. Uh, with our scientific advisory team and with families who have been there. Let's see, we also have support. This is love. 
So through that, we have our osteosarcoma resource packets. Again, for newly diagnosed, this packet goes to, to families. Um, and with a packet of things we all wish we would have had that, that will help. We have a gamer agent program where kids who have survived and siblings of those who have passed game with kids who are in treatment. Warrior mail program where oh, anybody across, across the world can write letters of hope and support to kids who are in treatment. Uh, we have an ambassador agent program where we train survivors who have been there uh, to support people who have asked for one-on-one support. We have prayer agents, we have end-of-life missions, and we have healing hearts for bereaved parents. Mm. Wow. That is a big stool. A lot of, you know, those three legs do a lot. Um, so, and you are in Vermont, right? In the beautiful city in Vermont. And so where, but I'm guessing the sense that this is like a national organization, right? And, and, and then your money comes from all over, correct? Like your, your funding, your donor base is, is probably national. Yeah, we're we're based in Vermont, and I would say we're in the city, and then laugh because <laughs> Vermont is very much uh, even our biggest city is not very city like, but in the country in Vermont, so we are a nationwide nonprofit, and so everybody everybody's in right. We have a big tent across the country, and uh, it's it doesn't matter where you live if you need help we're here. We're here for you. So how do people find you? You know, there are not that many osteosarcoma organizations and there aren't any that do the kinds of things that we do. Mm. There are other osteosarcoma nonprofits with whom we collaborate. And I am so happy and proud and delighted to say that we, we work together really well and we do not duplicate efforts so it's it's pretty easy if you find one of the osteosarcoma nonprofits you'll be connected with the other osteosarcoma nonprofits. And, so and we, we have a great collaborative community and if you have osteosarcoma and you google osteosarcoma help or I you know I need help I have osteosarcoma you're you're going to find us. Okay. And so the other thing is you said that your funding then you know the 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 money that you raise funds the research and the education and the support. And so as your donor base, mostly people who've been affected by this. Yes, that is a large part of our, of our database. We have a really interconnected, brilliant, benevolent community that are all of the understanding of what's needed to move this field forward So a lot of our funding comes from people who have been there. We also believe that when you know better, you do better. So when we, when we speak about osteosarcoma to people who had no idea that pediatric cancer was still a thing even, and we tell them where we're at and in, in research and where we're not at in research and finding new treatments, et cetera, they're on board. I think when people understand how greatly kids are suffering with cancer today, they want to help and we need them to help. Mm. Yeah. So what is, you know, what is the vision for the future then? What's next for you all? 
So our, our ultimate goal is to have kinder treatments and eventually a cure for this cancer. And we believe wholeheartedly that we are going to get there. And we're, we're not going to get there just because we're MIB agents. We're going to get there because we have this vast community be of researchers, doctors, clinicians, advocates, patients, patient families, bereaved parents who are all truly dedicated. This is what they think about every day, just like us. So together, we're going to get there. Mm. That's the goal. That, yeah. And so where is the organization like growing into um, in support of that? Like what is, you know, the next phase of growth look like for you? So a lot of our connection really happens in person at our annual conference, at our factor conference. And again, that's, that's physicians, researchers, patients, patient families, all gathered under one roof. And it happens annually. The feedback we've gotten from that conference, which were, we would have been in our fifth year in 2021. Yeah. Our fifth annual conference will actually be in 2022. Now Uh, it's in February. I think that's our, that's our core. That's our cornerstone of who we are and how we move things forward. So we'll continue with our annual (laughs) conference but we're also in the process of planning smaller regional conferences so that if you can't make it to wherever the conference is that year, you can show up closer to home. Also, a, a kind of a side effect of COVID and, and, and in answer to those same kinds of questions on what can we do throughout the year, the factor, factor is great, but it's once a year we need more is we have a weekly webinar and podcast called Osteobytes, where we have ongoing research presented by the uh, primary investigator. Uh, We have different innovations that are happening in osteosarcoma now and things that are hopeful that are happening in osteosarcoma. And we share those every week with um, with our audience on our webinar and podcast. That's amazing. You know, um, I did this uh, donor attraction forum a couple of months or it's been months. I can't believe it in April. And I think that's how we met because we got connected through a board, uh, one of your board members um, who I think attended this. And we had someone on there, Travis Johnson, to talk about nonprofits having a podcast. And I think, you know, you as a, as a, as a leader, I was going to say thought leader was that it's that it's like thoughts and facts, you know, like all of the, as a leader and that you take what you know and share it with, you know, with your audience. And, and I just, I love that. And I love that you do that. And I, and I think for those of us who are listening, there's so much opportunity for nonprofits to share what they know. You know what I mean? Like you're in, you kind of an organization that because you are funding research and, and, and a, you know, and a cancer, I think it's more easily, but I, I, I can see so many organizations that could share in little, you know, little weekly little things about, you know, if you, if you're an organization that cares for seniors, like how to care for the seniors in your life, you know, things like that. So I, I, I think it's great that you do that. And it, it, it is, isn't it true alignment because with the sharing that you ask your researchers to do. Right. Like, so you're, we're all about that openness and that sharing. I think that's really great. 
you hit it exactly on the head. We cannot, as an organization, ask our researchers and physicians to share their research and not do that ourselves. So in fact, at our first conference in 2017, we asked everybody there, please approach somebody that you don't know. Uh, share what you're working on, ask them to help you with what you're working on and, and you help them with what they're working on and please collaborate. And we promise to do the same. Right. And this was a really hard promise to make because as a nonprofit, you can get pretty proprietary about who you are and what you do and what you've accomplished and what you're, what you're working on. But the reality is as a nonprofit, as almost any, I suppose, as a human, really, to accomplish great things, you have to remove yourself from the center of what it is you do and what you want to accomplish. We ask everybody to do this. We have to do it ourselves. And I think it's through this type of collaboration and promise to ourselves that we are moving this thing forward. But it all starts with removing yourself from the center. It's not about Anne Graham. It's not about our team. It's we all have a part to play. Yeah. For the so, common goal. I because you know, when I coach and train individuals and organizations on influence, that is one of the biggest things is alignment, right? Like I eat my own cooking. I can't tell you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. And because when you, when you are in, in that embodiment of your values, your message is so much more powerful because energy speaks louder than words, you know? And so like I was working with like an organization and they work with kids in India and I'm the, you know, on the board, like they're going to ask people to sponsor a kid. Well, you have to be in alignment with that, you know, because if you're sponsoring a kid and we willing to have that experience and then when you ask others, like, I can't say, oh, I'm not going to do it, but I really want you to do it, <laughs> right? Like that's just, it just, it, the, it falls flat. And so that's what I call alignment. And it is, and like, like, like you're describing it when you're in it, it's very powerful. And it's almost like a constant, like check, like, okay, am I, am, am I in alignment? You know what I mean? Like, until so you're saying, you know, you take yourself out of it. And I'm sure in your organization, there's, there are constant checks on that you know, like, are, is this in alignment with our values of, you know, connection, collaboration, sh you know, sharing information. And the other thing I just want to say about that is, yes, organizations do hold their secrets. They, they hold their, you know, donors closer and, 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 you know, and their outcomes and their, and their methodology. And that's rooted in like scarcity, right? Like I have to keep this because if I let go, I'm letting go of control and it keeps us siloed as an industry. And what I think you're a model for, and, you know, like, and the organizations that are all part of the osteosarcoma issue, like working together to move something forward, instead of like working in these silos, which is what I see a lot of, that's just been my experience to see a lot of silos, but it, you know, in that value, that fear of scarcity, like, oh, I got to keep my secrets close and my donors closer because somebody's going to take them from me rather than what I teach and train people in, which is honoring abundance. There's enough for, for all of us. There is more than enough. The universe has more than enough for all of us. And when we open ourselves up, 
like you said, setting that fear aside, you know, you say like setting yourself aside, but in that setting of self aside, they're setting aside ego and fear and to have faith that, you know, the resources are out there and whatever you need is out there. So that's, that's really amazing. I want to ask you, so what are some challenges? What are, you know, what are some of the obstacles you had to overcome or some challenges that you see ahead? I suppose the first challenge was I am not a nonprofit expert. <laughs> this is not, you know, I didn't, I didn't set out at the, at the beginning. When, of when my you book. were a little girl, you didn't yeah. be like, when I grow up, I'm going to run my own nonprofit. <laughs> right. Right. And it's, it's just not, it's just not something that you go, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have a, a very specific nonprofit for pediatric cancer. We're even more specific than that being a type of pediatric cancer. So I think that was a little bit of a, a learning curve and it's, that's no small learning curve, right. To get over yeah, right. Um, having, having been in business and having started my own business in the past, I think was very useful because some of the same things that you believe in business can transfer over to your belief in what you're doing in your nonprofit. So just as you were saying a moment ago with, with there's enough business for everybody, there's enough donors for everybody. We would regularly share with other companies, you know, if, listen, if there's this, I was the director of sales and marketing for a luxury hotel group. And we would have groups that were too big that wanted to book our hotel. So we would call a neighboring hotel and say, hey, can you host this dinner? We have this group coming in and we want this piece of business, but you know, we'd like to give them a different option for dinner on the third night that they're here or, or what have you. And so it, it began a collaborative approach in, in business. And then we moved, I moved that over to, to the nonprofit. And it's a really important, it's an important thing. And it's not as easy as it sounds there either, because not everybody is going to be your people. <laughs> so not everybody, they're going to, some people are going to look at you suspiciously and go, oh, wait a minute, what's in it for you? Or why are you doing this? And you find your people, not everybody are going to be your people. They might say they have the same goal or they might um, be in the same business in, in whether that's in business or in nonprofit, but that doesn't mean that they're your people and that they're going to be the ones that you are going to collaborate with on the reg on a regular basis. Right. You have to find your people. And so, so once you found your people, that's, I think when real change, when, when real movement starts to happen and and we're I believe in that space now in osteosarcoma where we we've we're all rowing a boat in the same direction and the more people rowing that boat the faster we're going to get there yeah and I I agree with you like like you're talking about finding your people one of the things I work with organizations on is they you know like they, they, they know what they want and then they, they focus on how they want to get it. And I'm like, no, no, when you know what you want, it's who like, like right. that's the next thing is who do I need to, to help? Who do I know? Who do I need to know? And once you have that, the how kind of figures itself out. You don't have to worry about the how, because when we, when we start with the how it's like, 
well, like we need more board members. How are we going to get them? Like, well, first of all, who do we need? Because if I can define that, then we're going to know, you know, then the how is, is the, the how is like, we get so hung up on, on how we're going to get something done. And really it's the what and the who. And once we connect with the right people, then the way forward is, is like, it's, it's just done. Right. It's, it's, right. It, and, and in ways that you probably, and I'm sure you can see this never, ever expected, you know, like in, in, in the possibilities. So as like founder of an organization, are you like, you know, is it tough for you? Is like growth hard? Like, this is your baby. Do you see yourself like in, in that check of like, do I have founder syndrome? You know, like I know a lot of people who founded an organization. And so I always wonder, like, is there, is there a process that you go through or is like, is it hard to let go of some things that, that because, you know, you created this. Right. I can tell you that this organization is not my baby. My babies are my babies and I'm not giving my babies up. <laughs> and my, my babies are all older now, but there's, that's, they're, that's a completely different thing than an organization. The organization is not me. The organization is as what I hoped it would be and what it should be, not about me, not about my journey, not about what I went through. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's it's what I witnessed <laughs> that was the beginning of this organization. Right. Not yes. Yes, I went through this cancer as well. And this cancer brought me to my soul and to what matters, my true self, what is time, what is purpose, but it is not about me. And I hope that this organization goes on without me. And and the only way that I would feel badly about this organization not being with me not being the executive director of it is if I wasn't happy with who took it over and how it's being run. But for somebody to pick this up from me in 15 years and bring new fresh ideas and, um, and new energy to, to the organization, I I'm all about it. Let's, let's keep going. If, if we haven't, accomplished our goal yet, then let's go. Like, let's, right. let's, let's, let's keep, keep going until we get there. Uh, we we got to get there. That's the goal. Yeah. And, um, and I wanted to just ask you, so what, how does the board, your, your board support you and what is the role of your board? So we have, we actually have a, a kind of three boards so we have, I know, just stay with me a minute because I know you're, I know you're I know. cringing in your chair right now. No, no, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm doing a training next week um, called Board Member Blues. And because like there's, you know, so many people struggle you're like, well, I just have three, you know, like people are struggling with one. So, yeah. so you have three. So, yeah. So they all, they all work in, in really unique and important ways. So our board of directors is made up of uh, people, doctors, uh, researchers, uh, my own doctor who uh, was my surgeon, hospital administrators, anybody and everybody that we knew at the outset would be 
with us, that they would want to accomplish the same things that we wanted to accomplish, but were smarter than me, frankly. Like I needed people who were much smarter than me. And so my board of directors, every single one of them, I can tell you wholeheartedly is smarter than me, each and every one of them. So I, I ask them for help. I tell them I, I don't have all the answers. This is, this is a community. This is a big problem that we all need to solve. And we have quarterly meetings and we, we give updates and we ask for feedback. You know, what, what do you think we need to do better? What should we be doing differently? What's working? So our, the board of directors functions as that. The physicians and researchers who are on our board of directors also serve on our scientific or medical advisory team. Mm. And they help us uh, go through uh, research with our community each each year to decide who we fund, um, who we have speaking, who presents on Osteobytes, our weekly webinar and podcast. Our scientific advisory board is essential to who we are and what we do. We have a responsibility to do what we do in the best way possible and impart correct and accurate and helpful information. Mm -hmm. Our third board is our junior board. So the cancer that we serve is osteosarcoma. The kids that we serve have osteosarcoma or have had osteosarcoma and they are young adults. I am no longer a young adult, nor am I an adolescent. And (laughs) this is the age group that we are, we are, we set out to serve. So the junior board is made up of uh, adolescents and young adults who are either in treatment, they survived, or they are siblings of kids who have passed from this disease. And we run a lot of what we do by them. Yeah. How, how are we doing? What, what do you wish you would have had while you were in treatment? How can we serve our community better? And so they really guide and help us on that. And they, they also serve as uh, ambassadors to our organization. They are, um, they are panelists on our webinar and podcast. And they're just, they're just brilliant. And I, I, having this group of young adults really guides the organization probably more than any other, than any other. Yeah, no, they, like you're speaking about it and I can just feel that in my heart, like they're the heart of the organization, you know? I mean, they're like the touchstone that you never, I mean, there's no way you're going to get mission creep with them, you know, on your side. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, I, I'm not heard of, um, of something like that. So I, I, that, that's, I think that's amazing. And I think it's so important to help you create programming that really is valuable. And messaging. They Mm -hmm. are, they are the arbiters of what our messaging looks like, what it should look like. Are we on point? Are we, are we shooting too, too high to where are we at on our messaging? That's a huge thing because yeah. those are the ones we're trying to serve. Right. So, you know, it'd be like, 
it's like it's like having like a permanent focus group. Yes, you know, yes. like that you can just go to because like a lot of times I that's what I do. I pull together focus groups and you know we get to you know I facilitate these groups so we can understand how people think and feel and it's basically like you said okay let's like have this group that we can access there, you know, that like a permanent focus group, we can run stuff by get ideas off of them, run things by them. I think that's awesome. Yeah. They're incredible. And what a way, especially for them to give back, um, you know, and to just pass it, pass it on. Is it, um, it's such a great feeling when you've been affected by something difficult to be able to then come out of it and ease someone else's journey. You know, um, it's a privilege. One of the things. Um, so I have two more questions. Yeah. yeah oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things we, we no, say me. regularly is no one should walk alone through this disease. And that actually came from a junior board meeting mm-hmm. where we said, what was the hardest part about going through, through cancer for you? And the answer was heartbreaking and simple and unexpected their response across the board was the hardest part was not losing my leg not the amputation not nine months of chemotherapy not being taken out of my normal out of my school out of basketball practice out of all of these things for a year or losing my sibling it was seeing the pain that going through this caused the people that I love. Wow. And these are kids. I mean, these are the oldest one is 24 and the youngest one is 11. And, and they all said, this is, this is the hardest thing. I is seeing the pain that you're causing the people who love you and that you love and nobody should walk alone through that. And And it's one of the hardest parts about that understanding and about knowing that type of pain is the inability to share it because you can't share your pain without causing more pain to the people that you love. So, you know, we ask them, what do we do about that? How do we, how do we address this? And, and the phrase, no one should walk alone through this came up and, and we've had a couple of programs uh, one that's in pilot mode right now, uh, come out of that conversation. But it would never would have happened had we not had our junior board. And again, removing self from center and truly listening, not as somebody who has ownership over something and just wants to be told that they're doing it right, but being in that space of being vulnerable and, and asking truly, what do we need to do better? Right. That, that vulnerable space of, yeah, just allowing those answers and trusting. Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah, it's right on, right on. That is exactly it. So um, we're almost out of time. And I, I, I have to say, I typically open with a question Mm -hmm. and I did not do it this time. So, and I close with a question. So I'm closing with both questions. So, so, The first question is, tell me something that you're proud of uh, um, that you don't typically get an opportunity to brag about. I, you know, that what comes to mind first is the junior board. <laughs> but the bigger, the bigger answer is our community. We believe that everybody can do something to make it better for osteosarcoma. And we ask people to show up 
to bring whatever magic they have to this cause, whatever that thing is, there's a way that that thing can make it better for kids who are suffering. So our community of benevolent activists, not passive audience members, is, I think that's our secret sauce. It's the people who they themselves are suffering because they themselves went through this disease. They themselves right. have lost a child or, or, or haven't lost a child, but now ha the child has long-term effects from this cancer, um, including amputation, loss of fertility, um, heart prop, like there's so much suffering in this, in this community, but it turns out that the people who are suffering the greatest know that it is in giving that they receive. And so they give in every way possible and show up for the kids who are still suffering and for that, I am incredibly grateful and I'm incredibly humbled and proud of. Yeah, I love it. You know, it's nice to be able to just stand in, you know, like I feel like a lot of times we tend to dismiss our achievements, you know, oh, it was nothing, you know, it was, it's really something and you can like stand in the value of that. Like, yeah. Um, so that's why I like to ask that question. Um, you know, the only credit I can really take for it <laughs> is building the tent. And that's, that's the amazing thing. Like, yes, I created this tent that holds all these people because yeah. if, if it wasn't for you, like, honestly, there wouldn't be this connection. There wouldn't, you know, and, and, what an unexpected and um, amazing journey your life took from that experience. Um, so I have my last question. I always wrap with this one. Now we, we have just met, we, you know, we don't know each other that well yet. Um, I, one thing about me is I love karaoke. Like I love it. I make no apologies. I hundred percent love it. I'm like, I don't make excuses for why I love it. It's, it's like, it's like rock star therapy. I'm going to go for the first time this Friday. I haven't been since March of 2020, right? So I'm so excited. So if we were a karaoke together, what would be your go-to song? I would probably have a go-to item that I would bring. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that would be earmuffs because my... <laughs> If if we were going to karaoke together, I would likely be shamed into getting up and 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 singing a song, and I would also bring an apology because <laughs> I, I just it's it's bad it's bad news. I cannot sing. Um, <laughs> I will sing in my car um, with wholehearted gusto. But all right, so tell me, what are you singing? Yeah. What is your favorite thing to sing in your car? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't even know. I mean, you know, I have a granddaughter and her favorite song is, um, oh my gosh, what's the name of it? I would sing it for you, but then I would again have to apologize <laughs> and you just, you would lose listeners, yeah. Marianne. It would be very, very bad. Um, oh my gosh. I don't know. I do love me some Tay Tay. You know, a little bit of Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> yeah, little Taylor Swift never hurt anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's some good stuff. Aretha Franklin, come on. Uh, yeah, like, who doesn't yeah. jam out to Aretha Franklin? I don't care who I, you are. 
I have some pretty serious car. That's how I practice. You know, I, 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 that's how I learn new songs. I drive around my car and sing it. I got, all right. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) And for being with me and sharing your story and the story of MIB agents. Um, it is incredible work. And so many, I feel like you've given people so many good ideas, you know, around things that they can take away from your experiences, and especially like, you know, the, the junior board and different, just really innovative things happening. So I appreciate you being here on the influential nonprofit. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing the good work you do. Thank you. And for those of you who are listening, you can go to uh, the influential nonprofit.com and download your up level, your influence starter kit. I have all kinds of goodies in there around some of the principles that I'm talking about today, or that I talked about with Anne, you know, around abundance and alignment and all the things that help us grow our influence so we can grow our income and impact. And thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time on the influential nonprofit. Thanks for listening to the influential nonprofit with your host, Marianne Dersh. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Also, check out the influentialnonprofit.com for more resources on growing your influence so you can raise more and do more.